the work week, am I right? But do you know what would make it a little bit better? Doing church on a Sunday and then listening to a podcast about the sermon. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching post-mortem, a production of Liberty Church Collingswood. Each week we'll spend some time unpacking Sunday sermonics, and we hope that you'll be able to connect a little deeper with the message and the messenger. It's a win, if we can make your work week a little less blue. House lights down. Welcome to the Post-Sunday Blues, a preaching show post-mortem. <laughs> <sighs> You don't have it written on my outline. Anyways, we are here today again with myself, Emily Anger, and my husband, James Anger, who is looking lovely this morning as usual. Hello. So, Bruce Springsteen, busted for driving. Ted Cruz, busted for flying. I just don't know what transportation I can trust yeah, anymore, we're, baby. We're in Iceland right now, looking out the window with snow <laughs> drifting. Seriously. <laughs> it's really Again. pretty. Yeah, I, I love it. I was telling Jessie this morning, because she was actually complaining about it. I was like, if last year, at this point, this would be rain, and we'd be so miserable. Yeah. Um, I'm so happy it's snow. It's pretty. Yeah, got to watch the sunburns, but besides that, we're good. <laughs> okay. Anyways, again, we're here on a Monday Um one day until our dating anniversary, mm. so we have some um, some romance in the air. Love Not is in really. the air. <laughs> we have Valentine's Day now, a dating anniversary, and instead we're gonna we're gonna jump into something that's a little bit heavier and less romantic. I, I don't know. The, I I actually like talking about deeper things too with you. That's actually a a big draw. That is true. We skipped the banter phase of the relationship and went straight to talking about deeper things. So this is a callback of epic proportions. Yeah, my college years were spent in deep diving, bigger topics. Um, and it's it's actually good to dig back again. I'm What, what of course, I'm referencing is your um, sermon, your introduction to the new sermon series, which began um, on Wednesday with Ash mm-hmm. Wednesday. Um Again, Ash Wednesday is something that I didn't grow up doing, so um, actually, I forget. Was that something that you guys did when you were growing up? We did not. Okay. So there's there's a tradition, actually. Can you explain mm-hmm. it? Because I feel like I will be bad at it. Sure. So Lent is 40 days plus Sundays, a season in the liturgical life of the church, culminating in Eastern Sunday, a season of reflection and repentance meant to be solemn, where you put things down that you normally do, you take things up. Terms of Christian disciplines, and it begins with Ash Wednesday. Ashes, to dust we are, and to dust we shall return. So it reminds us of our created nature. We're not God, but we're only creatures. And then also it reminds us of the wood, the dust of the cross where Jesus died for us. Right. And again, since I didn't grow up with this tradition, it was it was a new experience to me when we started celebrating Ash mm-hmm. Wednesday to receive the ashes. And I think that it was interesting this year to like notice the absence of it because um, because those of us who were just watching the service from our living rooms didn't get the experience of physically getting ashes on our right. foreheads. And I, I think there was something missing. So... Yeah, missing the ashes. So this continues to be a season of presence and absence because of coronavirus. And I agree. It felt weird applying ashes to only like three or four people (laughs) during the simulcast because there weren't that many people in the room. Right. Um, But I also feel like there is something appropriate in just feeling that sense of missing because there's the the marking of, of the ashes and then you're connecting it to this 
series and this new sermon, this new sermon series that's helping us to reflect on something pretty, pretty big and deeper. And I sometimes have the feeling of um, distance from the subject, mm-hmm. specifically this year, because we're so remote from other people. Yeah. Um, you want to jump in and talk about a little bit about um, your vision for this series and how you started off on Wednesday? Sure. So it's been a long time coming since George Floyd was murdered last May. There have been a lot of thoughts, conversations, prayers within Liberty Collingswood, within leadership, Liberty Collingswood, within the Liberty Network and otherwise about how the church should and we believe that we should address issues of racism and racial injustice. And I had the idea fairly early on, not that we would ignore this topic on a Sunday to Sunday basis. And I think most Sundays since George Floyd was murdered, well, I preached a sermon directly about it, I think two Sundays after it happened. But then I think most Sundays, whether prayers of the people and including the sermon, I, I referenced systemic racial injustice and racism one way or another. But in my mind's eye, I had Lent tagged thinking that this would be a great liturgical season to tie to racism and systemic racial injustice because it's sort of built for it. It's a, it's a season of mourning. It's a season of thinking. It's a season of repenting. And shouldn't we think, shouldn't we reflect, shouldn't we repent of issues related to these specific things? And so I figured, let's jump in. And so we had the parable of the Good Samaritan on Wednesday evening and was back with the Gospel of Matthew this Sunday to intro not only a sermon series, but for those of you listeners who are at Liberty Collingswood, and because we're virtual, anybody can be at Liberty Collingswood right now. It's amazing! There's not just sermons, but there's a good amount of additional programming and activities related to Lent, specifically vis-a-vis racism that I'm eager for our church to get started with in these coming weeks. Right. Uh, and I'm I'm excited to, not excited might be the wrong word, but I think that hmm. devoting a whole season to this, and not to say that even the season is long enough, but um, instead of just like a one-off sermon responding to a crisis right. um, that we are called as a church, as individuals, to be thinking about these things and um, examining our hearts. Um, I did really like how you started off your sermon with two analogies, illustrations that felt really relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, first, the marriage counseling when a husband is saying, things are fine, I don't want to talk about this, and the wife is saying, things are not fine, I've been hurt by some things, I'd love to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Um that really resonates as a racism parallel because I think there's an easiness to which majority culture can kind of say, I think things are fine. We don't need to like drag drag in these uh, historical things that happened ages ago. Yeah. Um, when when there are people who are crying out saying, no, this, is, this really has hurt and it's affected my life and I, I really need to talk about it. Um, yeah. And... What is your other, let's see. Um, Mentioning my dad towards the beginning right, of the Right, right, right. That is, that's the other thing. Just bringing it back to um, knowing that there are people who struggle, um, who have privilege. And even though I'm minority, I do consider myself somewhat of someone who's coming from a place of privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, that there was struggle for your dad. Um, and that is, that's not something to like negate that he really did Mm -hmm. push up, but that, um, there are, there are other people who are struggling more. Um, yeah, for sure. So calling it stormy Monday, 
this sermon had been in the works for a long time. I emailed our consistory a couple weeks ago, maybe this past week, telling them, hey, pray for this sermon, pray for the sermon series. And I think specifically for this sermon, I probably spent more time and more prayer on this particular sermon than I have in any number of sermons in, in, in memory. And so I had those two examples set in my mind as the introduction for a while. Husband whose wife is really hurting, but he refused to talk, refuses to talk to her. And then this whole thing about my dad, which is part of my own journey as it relates to racism. And the burden of the sermon was simply that we need to talk about these things. Right. And we're not here to uh, solve every issue related to racism. And I was trying to balance this Sunday. I struggle with intro sermons. So one of the points of order at Liberty Collingswood staff, we don't debrief my sermon every Sunday as a rule. Although, you know, periodically we double click on whatever we need to double click on. But there is a standing order that for every intro to every sermon series, we talk about it at the staff level and now at the podcast level as well, because I struggle with intro sermons specifically trying to balance some sort of payoff or thing that you get from this Sunday versus table setting the whole time. I don't know if I hit that goal, but I feel that tension, that balance even more talking about racism because we're not going to get to the bottom of it in 40 right. days plus change. So I was trying to set as modest goals, getting first downs in terms of listening, lament, and next steps to take. There's an Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode. Em, I know that's one of your favorite shows. <laughs> I don't mind it. Sure. <laughs> there, there, There's an episode, I didn't go back and check, but I think this is true, titled The Gang Solves the Race Problem, which if you know oh, anything sure. about... Oh, sure. That Always. should be the required watching. Right. Week. Yeah, I would have to go back and watch the content of that episode before I recommend it more broadly to right. our to our good people listening to this podcast. But I don't want to give the impression at Liberty Collingswood that the church solves the race problem right. uh, within within this season, but was still burdened to get us to go ahead and dive in more. Right. So you're you're when you're when we look at the question, what what do you want to what what are you hoping that God will do through this? Um, what's your answer to that? Yeah, I want people to feel the need to dive in, even in, I don't know, Liberty Collingswood, we have a fairly broad spectrum of political opinions. My goal for this sermon and for this series includes wanting people that may be reluctant to jump into these issues to understand that, hey, these are healthy things and necessary things for us to talk about. And so whether the sermon introduction or more broadly, I was reaching deep into my rhetorical bag of tricks to get people to come to a point where they say, yes, I might not want to, but want to talk about these things, but I feel like I have to. At, at our college, there was um, the only Ivy League school that had a speech department. So I was, I took all of the classes that I could there. And so I was deep into the logos, pathos, and ethos this particular Sunday morning. Sure. Yeah, that's and then specifically also for people of color at our congregation and for people that care deeply about these things, I, I want them to feel voiced and I want their church to be on the record about some of these things. Not that we weren't, like I was on the record about George Floyd and Sermon right after that, uh, right after the insurrection on January 6th at the Capitol, I did a Facebook Live. Uh, to some extent or another, I think that is like Liberty Calling, so it officially sure. commenting about some of these things but wanting to do that even more with the sermon series. And one of the books that I read in preparation for that series, and 
that I'm going to be referencing throughout this sermon series in Lent. Weep with me, how lament opens the door to reconciliation among races. That's by Mark Rogup, a suburban pastor in Indianapolis, another white guy, but he's taken his church through journeying through reckoning with racism in deeper ways. So it was a really helpful book for me to see. One of the things that he said and that I resonated with and I quoted during the sermon was, there is a responsibility for majority Christian leaders to say, hey, we need to talk about these things so that we're not placing all of the burden on minority Christians, which would amount to one more burden of many historically that have been placed upon them. Right, right. That that makes sense. I mean, yeah, it's, it's an interesting place as a leader that you have, and I'm thankful for um, you trying to shepherd this vision through our to our congregation. Sure. Um, how did you choose, like going to the Sun Studios and the B.B. King James Version, like mm-hmm. what what exactly caused you to choose this passage um, for this Sunday? A couple different reasons. One, as it relates to this text selection, and after the sermon series, I'm really looking forward to getting, I, I don't know which one, but getting back to a book of the Bible where we can go sequentially passage by passage through either an entire book of the Bible or part of it. I miss doing that. That's my bread and butter as a preacher. But we're going to be drawing from different texts during this Lenten season. And I chose Matthew 19, verse 16 to 22. This is the story, Jesus interacting with the rich young ruler or the rich young man. Jesus, I'm doing a great job already. What must I do to get eternal life? Jesus says, obey all the commandments and The man says, yeah, I have. Uh, But then Jesus says, well, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess, give to the poor, and then you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. The rich young man, because he loved his stuff, said, no, I'm not going to do that. And so I chose this passage um, because, and this may seem counterintuitive, because it's not on the surface a passage about racism. Uh, There certainly are. But I wanted to get our congregation to see that there are many, many, many passages in Scripture. Even more than that, the whole counsel of God throughout the Scriptures addresses issues of racism. So we don't need to go to like a smoking gun text about racism to see how the gospel of Jesus applies to these things. And I had in the back of my mind, I listened to a podcast given by two black pastors soon after George Floyd talking about different ways which they're frustrated and exhausted by Mm -hmm. racism in general and how the church has engaged these things more specifically. And one of those pastors said, right after George Floyd was killed, there were a number of white pastors that reached out to me and said, hey, could you give me a list of Bible passages about racism? And he said that he was fatigued and frustrated by that he understood he got it but he was also fatigued and right, frustrated the whole by that Bible. <laughs> exactly yeah i was going to ask you can can you guess why he would have said that right baby? it's 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 every single word it's the, mm-hmm. the message of grace um yeah is it's everywhere right so loving god loving neighbor is something that applies very deeply to racism so i chose a non passage about racism to show that, hopefully, because the implications are everywhere. And the the interpretive crux of the sermon, Emma, I don't know if you caught it, was midway through the sermon when I asked, what's this guy's problem? What is Jesus critiquing? And I think the sermon would not have made sense if people would not have been on board with me observing that the problem that this person was 
facing within his own life and heart was not merely that he was being ungenerous, but that he was being unjust. So when Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. It wasn't just that this man was being suboptimal on the optional command of being more generous with his stuff. But if you understand how just and righteous God is towards the poor, towards the outcast, towards the marginalized, towards the outsider, if you have a lot of resources that you're not giving to leverage uh, good and uplift to other people, you're actually being unjust. So it's a bigger sin than just a little bit of a lack of a generosity. And to me, that was the interpretive idea that funded the rest of the sermon as it related to racism and racial injustice. Right. And just speaking as a listener, I do I do feel a level of conviction hearing that um, or hearing this passage applied to the concept of racism and racial justice mm-hmm. um, that that I personally like. Am I relaxing too much into comfort um, and and am I too much like this young man who um, feels the that life is fine and doesn't want to give more? Um, and I think that parallel with the Good Samaritan passage that you preached on Wednesday, mm-hmm. um, they do dovetail into this conviction that racism is an issue for um, for our own hearts, even if we consider ourselves not racist. So um, yeah. And then last thing about BB King James version, this relates to text selection both with this passage from Sunday morning and then also the Good Samaritan. On purpose, I chose these passages because they're pretty common, they're pretty familiar, and they're pretty easy to interpret. So I wanted to find passages where I didn't have to do a ton of time bridging contexts, explaining weird things about the passage, because I wanted to have enough time in my three-hour standard length of every sermon to get to issues of racism, and I thought that these passages would allow me to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And yet, it does seem like uh, this must have been difficult to construct. Was did it come together easily? And going on to the muddying the water section, muddying the waters. Was it? Was it? Um, you've kind of talked about that a little bit, but mm-hmm. what? What do you think? Was it hard? Yeah, I think it was hard. And the reason that we're doing these podcasts <laughs> is that I just want people to feel sorry for me. So Emily's all about the pity download. I'm all about the pity preacher. So here we <laughs> for go. you, <laughs> right? Yeah, don't cry for me, Argentina. The Mudding the Waters, though, as it relates both to Sermon and the series, this is one of the tensions. I want us to do real work, real excavation, take real action steps related to racism and systemic injustice. But then also, and this is something that I love about the Liberty Network of Churches in a broad way, I want us to be a gospel-centered church where we're centered not on any particular issue, as important as racism is, but centered on the gospel of Jesus instead. And we're in a climate where there are so many issues that are polarized politically that didn't used to be. And this is one of the biggest hot potatoes of this period right now. I don't want our church to become overly politicized while at the same time dealing with racism in a non-surface way. It's easy for me to look at both extremes and say, well, I don't want to be there. One extreme, hey, we're a gospel-centered church, therefore we're not talking about racism at all. Let's just bury it under the rug. We don't want to do that. But then on the other hand, we don't want to be this politicized church where there is a cause of the week where we are ambulance chasing after 
this agenda or this agenda, and if you're not 100% within a particular political tribe, this church has nothing for you. I think there's a sweet spot. I think there's a middle, but in practice, it's hard for us to get there. But I do want our church to be a place where we are this sort of third space where you can ask honest questions, where there's genuine dialogue without just being shut down and shouted down because you don't have every, everything already figured out. Yeah, hopefully um, hopefully that's true. I, I get that context that I think I feel that tension too, just looking at my scope of friends and family. Um, but I, I do hope there's a common ground that we can all agree that uh, racism and, racism and sucks. The, the, thing, the idols of your heart thinking yourself as better than other people is is a human nature condition and it it's it is real it's definitely like real and vivid for people yeah and so another balance as far as muddying the waters and I'm, I'm trying to explore during the sermon and we'll do during this series is balancing between statistics and stories right i think both are important i said a couple times during the sermon, this is not going to be a super statistics heavy season of Lent, uh, but I do want to try to use statistics wisely. And I actually had a conversation with somebody who is in helping with the production of, of the live stream who works in statistics. Right. And I told him afterwards, hey, if you have any ideas for me and experience with how preachers can use statistics well in a sermon. I'm all ears because mm -hmm. most of the time when I hear pastors use statistics in sermons, it's kind of bad. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't it, really work. It right. doesn't translate well. There's an emotional point that's trying to be made with numbers that, at least for somebody like me who's not a natural numbers person, mm -hmm. doesn't really work. Or it could be that the stats aren't really telling the story that you want them to. So I see a lot of pitfalls there. The couple of stats that I that I mentioned at, at different times. And this was an eye-opener for me when the Barner Group said that after George Floyd, minority Christians in the church wanted to talk more about racial issues, but right. substantially white Christians that were surveyed said that after George Floyd and when protests were going on, when the riots were going on, when all of these conversations were happening in culture, the majority Christians, the white Christians, wanted to talk about these things much less and that blew my mind yeah i think that uh, i you both of us are not really numbers people confession time uh, but, <laughs> but but you are science as we established <laughs> last week but i think that it, it there are some numbers that are confounding and even someone who um isn't a numbers person i think it's a good thing to balance both things because it illuminates like if one person's story is one person's story and it's compelling to me as like a story person mm -hmm. um when you multiply it out times whatever right it, it um becomes all the more um egregious that that racism racism extends extends systemically and individually mm -hmm. both so for sure and so there there were those statistics and then also you mentioned that i'm telling the story at the beginning of the sermon about the couple and then also about my dad but i also wanted to introduce the belhar confession which we'll be mm -hmm. using mm -hmm. liturgically just telling the story of how this is a confession of faith born of the church reckoning with apartheid i think it's a really great confession of faith uh, in the reformed church in america we have the belhar confession more recently and then three reformation and post-reformation era great theology confessions. I preach from the Heidelberg Catechism. Now we're using the 
Belhar on Sunday mornings, but there's a story behind that confession that I thought needed to be tell, told as opposed to just, hey, here's a different confession, repeat after me. Right. And then also the slavery story where missionaries were forced into agreement that they would evangelize slaves, but then also give a very pro-slavery message as right, they were evangelizing. Right. Right. That happened. And one of the things that we need to do in the sermon series is just come to grips with our own history. So if that's 18th century, then, sorry, if that's 19th century, if 20th century being struck by the reality, and we'll talk in a couple minutes about the bar band I know, cover this tunes, is almost, you're jumping the, sections. The, um, <laughs> I'm a section jumper when I want to be busted yeah, hypocrite. Yeah, yeah. The sermon titles like Jesus the Segregationist, uh, given in American pulpits and from Christian institutions as late as the 1980s, right. uh, that, that's not way in the past history. That, that, that's present history. So using those stories and trying to leverage them rhetorically this past Sunday morning. Also going back to the Ash Wednesday service, hopefully it was a compelling metaphor for me to ask the question, and I return to it again on Sunday morning, has the church in our country, specifically majority culture churches, have we been like the priest and the Levite walking by on the other side when there are victims of racism individually and systemically all around us, but we're too busy with our religious stuff to actually care? Hopefully that was a narrative moment that connected. And we're going to hear from Courtney and Abby this coming Sunday, as far as their own experiences with some of these things, uh, we do need to talk. Right. Um yeah, and you have kind of bled into this next section that you have here, the mm -hmm. bar band cover tunes, where you uh, draw from different uh, specific references. So yeah. where, what else have you talked about? Actually, those are the two that I'd written down. Um, right, so we have Mark Rogup. I have no idea if I'm saying that correctly. Uh, not sure what's going on with that last name. Maybe it's Dutch. <laughs> I realize if it ain't Dutch, it ain't much. Sorry, Mark okay. Rogup, but it's a really good book. I'll stop belittling your yeah, last name speak. for no reason <laughs> right. at all. Let's make fun of anger now. Right. There's plenty of anger jokes. So Reverend Anger has some issues with your name there, Mark. But that's a really good book. There, there are a number of people in our church that have picked it up. Uh, Weep With Me. Also a book that I read, The Color of Compromise by Jamar Tisby, which is a primer on the history of racism in our country, both within culture, uh, within government, and then also within within the church and it's from the tisby book that i got the slavery and evangelism example plus the jesus the segregationist stuff from the 20th century also mentioned and i referenced both on sunday and then on wednesday martin luther king's letter from a birmingham right. jail a great thing that i'm encouraging people to read in full and i want to be a little careful with king specifically there is a thing, I don't know if it's more broadly in culture, but at least in conversations in the church, about turning King into the quotable King, where right. he's, he, the he's the one he's safe so draw. The problem is he's so quotable. He's so quotable. He's really good with words. He a lot of sound bites. And I'm going to try to give a perspective on King at various points of the sermon series when I'm not just pulling the same quotes that everybody else are quoting from. And there are some aspects of his life and thought that I think are deeply challenging today. Sure. So I want to be careful not to present him as the domesticated king. And so Right, I, but if you read the whole letter, like if you don't just pull absolutely. the quotes, right. it is really convicting. Yeah. Yeah. So so wanted to pull a less pulled quote from King. And then also the 
I didn't do a ton of Bible cross-referencing this past Sunday, uh, but one of the things that we're going to do during Lent is I'm not going to spend a lot of time building a biblical case for systemic injustice as a biblical category. I'm just going to assume it because it's there right. all over <laughs> yeah. the place. Right. And so Psalm 94:20, can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? There it is. Framing injustice by statute is systemic injustice. And the more you go into the scriptures about these things, whether it's systemic injustice, racist or otherwise, or collective guilt for individual sin, the problem is not, hey, it might not be there. The problem is that it's there all over the place and it kind of freaks us out. So right. excited to digging into some of those things more too. Right. Um, let's see. And also the, to play the like side light, lighter joke with your uh, references, there, you did have one that I took a note on when you were talking about playing operation. Oh, playing operation. Yeah, right. um, one, of, one of our kids told me to tell you that you are not literally shocked when you... When you said the phrase, you're literally shocked. I think it's just like a noise or I don't know. Anyways, this child claims that you're not literally shocked. I think because we have a game where you are literally shocked. Okay, Howlin' Wolves, come back and tell us if if I'm exaggerating. So so two things. Uh, I can see any one of our kids making that point. That's, That's the beauty of it. I'll have to guess which one later on. But good use of the word literal. So I get really annoyed when people use... You know, I could literally eat a hundred right. pizzas. Right, and this person, this child, I'm was like, calling you on. I'll the... buy those hundred pizzas. Literally. I would love to see you literally eat those hundred pizzas. I will literally be laughing when you're literally <laughs> incapacitated, potentially close yeah, to needing a well. postmortem. Right. So kudos to that child. But then also, I did choose that literally, <laughs> literally. Because I do think that you're literally shocked by playing Operation. I never played that game because it freaked me out too much. (laughs) Okay, so so the the little tweezers, they do have like a rubberized end, but I think there is somehow, and science people, Howlin' Wolves will need you to get on this, but I I think there is a literal electroshock therapy. Yeah, you're going to... I don't yeah. like being wrong. We're going to arm Come wrestle on. this Dad's person. That's not wrong. Okay. That's good. <laughs> um, that's that's the one I got. But are we on to guitar slim pickings? Do we have any leftovers like that? Guitar slim pickings. Here we go. This might be a strange slim picking, but one thing that, or another thing that's making this sermon and series unique is that I've much more than I usually do. And maybe I should do this more. I've asked a lot of individual people for feedback. Sure. uh, Because this is a sermon series. You know, I I gave the big reveal on Sunday that that I'm a white dude. Totally (laughs) shocking to a lot of people. This is a sermon series where I need uh, feedback in real time. So not just at the end of it, but asking people, hey, like, did this, is this biblical on one hand, is it trenchant on the other? Does it really get at racism in our country so that we do want to take specific steps towards change? Is it fairly presenting uh, voices other than mine? Uh, one practical challenge about soliciting lots of feedback is that I get lots of feedback. And sure. all of the feedback has been really good. It's just more time. Right, right. <laughs> I'm no, having but to, it's good. To, to, to structure in. Guitar Slim Pickings, uh, the Cutting Floor is a blues song, Killing Floor, by Helen Wolf. Here's a, here's a spiritual descendant of Killing Floor Blues, Cutting Floor Blues. It's always hard to cut things out and leave things on the editing floor right. during sermons. So I'm not sure I'll get back to these quotes, but maybe I will. One of the 
best quotes on systemic racial injustice that I came across in the wake of George Floyd was actually given by Jeffrey Lurie, the Eagles owner. And I realized that we don't go necessarily to our sports team owners for comments well, about some society. People, some people do. But but he, he he said something really good. He said, hey, I love my country. Uh, America's great. There's a lot of things that we need to celebrate, but then also there's a lot of things that we need to own up to that have been really bad, including racism. And I wanted to use that quote just to say, like, why is this so hard? Yeah, yeah. Can't, can't, can't we say both and do the hard work of getting better as a church and as a nation? I was also going to reference the Drive-By Truckers, a great, southern, a great white southern rock band that throughout the legacy of their music have been wrestling with these things. Also, at the very end of the sermon, and Em, I'm holding up to you, do you see this big block of text at the end of the <laughs> you sermon? You cut it at the I last minute? I cut it at the end. So I have this you habit of adding the final word. <laughs> really big quotes at the end of the sermon that I think that I'm going to be able to get to, but then heat of the moment, I say this is too long of a quote when attention spans and are on the lane. white southern band. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So Richard Loveless, uh, not a white Southern band in this case, but a white Southern man. Got it. uh, In the 1970s, talked about how the grace of Jesus is essential for truly transcending racism. I'm going to come back to this quote. I've used it in sermons before. It's one that Tim Keller, pastor in New York, has referenced a good bit, but a great example of connecting grace and race. Finally, a book that I wanted to mention, but I will mention again, came out 20 years ago, but it's popping up a lot in conversation in the church about race right now. Em, do you remember the book Divided by Race at our old Church of the Redeemer home meetings? We talk about a good bit. Well, let me know. We're looking around my office and my bookshelves. Let me know if you find it. I've been looking for it. Haven't found it. So it's a sociological account by two Christian sociologists about some of our racist history in this country. And it's a book that continues to have resonance today. Finally, last guitar slim pickings thing. Before we went on the air, M, you said that my Ash Wednesday service was solid. And that was the first time I've ever gotten positive feedback about my special service homilies. Oh, from me. Probably From you, yes. (laughs) Your homilies, they just remind me of like, I don't know, what I imagine Catholic school homilies to be sometimes. But... <laughs> Tell me more about your Catholic school experiences that you're making up in your head. Just imagine. Okay. They're more boring. <laughs> <laughs> I'm intrigued. We'll do that on another podcast. Okay. Um anyways, I I did think that maybe it, I think that it was an intro to this sermon series and I think it worked well. That's mm-hmm. my personal take, but um lastly, we have our encore. We have um notes from our howling wolves we do again appreciate feedback um we appreciate questions we got two today from a friend um let me open who is thankful for the season of lent being um focused on lament and racism um relieved that our church would be formally vocal against it. That's one of the, again, the yeah. like, please, obviously. <laughs> right. Um, I would hope that all of our churches would, would be um, anti-racist. Um, she writes, Jim, you mentioned in yesterday's sermon that it's scary to talk about racism. I've heard you preach that it's scary to talk about money and greed. So I'm curious, what's a scarier topic for you to preach about at this time with this congregation? Our, our racism or our greed? Not by the way, she says, to say that one topic holds more weight than the other. Both are hard, pervasive sins, and I don't mean to compare them. 
Yeah, thanks, Joanna. And that was, that was a nicely qualified question, so I appreciate yeah, all, we, we all like the our caveats. Dis- disclaimers. We, we are fellow disclaimers <laughs> over here. So, so the word that I used in the sermon, I think, was maybe not scared, but nervous. I mean, who says that I'm scared? Nobody says that. I'm not scared at all. Uh, nervous. Yeah, because these are such polarized topics right now. And I would say slam dunk easy. There's more nervousness in me doing a sermon series about racism than greed, uh, just because even if greed is a heart issue that the more you press into it, the more defensive people can get about it. There isn't the politicization surrounding it at the same time. So yeah, this is going to be a tough one. Pray for me. Pray for us. Right. And then she writes, Emily, Jim can speak from the pulpit to the camera. Mm-hmm. And then you get to dive into these hard topics in our small groups. Which uh-huh. topic is harder for you? Um, you know, I think I'd be the opposite. Because for me, like, racism is, like, so obviously wrong. And I can even see where it, where it grows in my heart and manifests in my heart. Um, and it is possible because I, I am... I did live out a minority experience growing up and uh, so yeah, I do struggle with it, but it's something that's easy for me to talk about because um, I, I am immersed in the struggle myself, I guess. But with, with money, um, I, I find it harder because I don't personally know the ans- all the answers. Like I, I, there's so many, hmm, there's so much like grayer. Sometimes I feel like, I live in too much of a state of privilege, and so uh, it's hard for me to discuss issues surrounding money because I don't always feel like I'm doing the work um, around that topic. So I find it easier to talk about racism because I can feel and acknowledge my own um, sin. I can see my experience lived out um, as a result of racism. Mm -hmm. Um, I can see, like I used to work um, in West Philly. So I can see the, the dynamics of, uh, racial injustice and how it affects, um, individuals, both, both friends and, um, students, large populations. Um, but with money, it just is this, I don't know, this mystery. Yeah. That's interesting to hear you say it that way. Um, I think when it comes to racism, even though it's a large and complex and painful subject, there is another sense in which when we just need to stop it, and it's right. wrong, let's not do it. Let's do the hard work of unpacking where these things are in our lives and in our culture and make steps. But greed is one of those, because it relates to money, it's more of a can't live with it, can't live without it. Mm-hmm. So the stop it is less clear because you still have to use money at some level. So it's it's more of a, it's more of a slippery slope. Right. But yeah. th- thanks for that question. And, and I will say for our Howlin' Wolves out there, I would love to hear more from Emily and Gage these subjects too in the coming <laughs> weeks. We, we do have on a refrigerator, I'm not sure why it's there, but there's that class photo of you from, from fourth grade. Uh, do you remember that? Okay, you, <laughs> I do know. You, you do live in this house. Because <laughs> my parents gave it to Clara and Jesse, and uh, one of them put it on our refrigerator. That's why it's yeah. there. So, so the photo's on our fridge. There is one of me. <laughs> there's one of Sean Astin making fun of me for looking like Sean Astin. There's one of, uh, there's a Bruce Springsteen magnet. There's one of the G- Gina and Elliot's twins. <laughs> right. And then there is fourth grade Emily. But the photo is striking. You're the only person of color in the entire class, which is why. Well, there's some, there are some Hispanic people. 
but maybe you're not. Anyways. Interesting. Okay. Well, let, <laughs> let, let, let's unpack that more. I'll, okay. I will look more closely I grew up at in the a, photo. I grew up in San Antonio. Hispanics are actually majority culture in San Antonio, but right. um, but I was the only Asian kid in my entire high school experience up until when I was a senior. There was one other Chinese girl who was a freshman. Um, yeah, I'm, so. sure, I'm sure you were mixed up with her all the time. <laughs> um, anyways, that was that is something that is is with me. So right. Um, and then we did get a uh, another review, right? We did. Thank you so much. KBiz1242578 for KBiz. I'm not sure, so I don't know who this person is. K-biz. I'm intrigued. Could it be Kibitz? So, like, a, we're kibitzing here or we're kibitzing here, but either way, really great review. Like on J Man's Mixology Masterworks, thought provoking, provocative, and all caps, strong. Thank you so much, KBiz. And what's especially intriguing to me about this review is that I don't think on the air in this podcast so far, I'm not that I'm avoiding it. I haven't talked, however, about cocktails and mixology. So <laughs> KBiz, whoever you are, we must have been otherwise intimate. Stop. Okay, closing vamp. Uh, thank you for your feedback again. I, I don't know. The rating reviews, we're not trying to like rise the charts of Apple Podcasts, but uh, we do want, if if you feel like this uh, podcast is encouraging to you, it, it helps us to um, have a sense of who our audience is when you write in, when you give questions, um, things like that, right? Yeah, and also share. So if you like the podcast, commend it to a friend as we try to both build and figure out who our audience is. It's been great so far. And you'll be taking a break next week. Yeah. I will be interviewing again after the Sunday morning interview, Courtney and Abby. So look forward to that conversation. We did marriage week. counseling with them and they are, they're so fun. I love them. Like, I think they're a good match and um, it'll be fun for you to listen to them. Yeah, they're awesome. I want to be them when I grow up. Right. And I, I also, for our Christmas um, little virtual pageant, uh, I made uh, Courtney and B's little little girls um, be the wise men who were like bringing gifts to their baby brother. <laughs> it was really funny. It was hilarious. So for the rest of their life, they will have on video them bowing down and worshiping their baby brother, Jesus. <laughs> I don't know. It's the games we play. Anyways, thank you for joining us. Um, you'll tune in next next time to hear Courtney and B and Jim. Um, and for, for now, how was it? That was amazing. Thanks so much for joining us. This has been the Post Sunday Blues, a preaching post mortem production of Liberty Collingswood. Go ahead, rate, review, and subscribe, and you can find all things Liberty Collingswood at libertycollingswood.org. No more post-Sunday blues. Here comes some pre-Sunday happy. Okay, so if you, on WandaVision, if you listen all the way to the end uh-huh. and you get the post-credits, right. what if what would happen if like nobody knew that the post-credits existed and everyone just That's even stopped? cooler. Yeah? Okay. Because I think that you need to put them in every week. Nope. If in WandaVision they did it every week, <laughs> I would be so happy. <laughs> no. Otherwise, like, there's no headlines to this podcast saying, like, there's no there's no Apple headlines saying Jim and Emily's podcast hasn't has a post show trailer. <laughs> Keep them guessing. Who's the one that likes variety here? Yeah. I want this one in. <laughs>